up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brantlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And I'm Robert Denfeld, out in Long Beach, California. So we've decided to make this episode more music-focused than our past two. Uh, We know the Oscars dominated a lot of the conversation these last few weeks, so we wanted to give the music world some more love to balance things out, since it's a part of pop culture that we plan to heavily discuss on Must Go Faster. Yeah, so having said that, uh, in this episode, Ben and I are going to be talking about the live concert experience and sort of what goes into making a good concert experience, what makes them memorable, um, all the factors that play into that. And so we want to each share our top five concert experiences of all time, uh, which should be a really fun list to make. And we're also going to add in our single worst concert experience. So that should be fun, too. Definitely. But first, we're going to offer two recommendations for the week, starting with the return of New Zealand-based pop artist, Lord. So what you just heard was Greenlight, the new single by Lord, and her first song since uh, 2014. This one was co-written with uh, Jack Antonoff, who you may know from Fun and Bleachers and has written for Taylor Swift and a bunch of other pop stars. Uh, he's become a really big name in the, the world of pop songwriting. A lot of what you kind of hear on the radio today might have his influence behind it. But yeah, I, I really dig this song, uh, Greenlight. It's it's definitely more upbeat than her, her past material. It's, right. it's kind of made for the club, which I think is is definitely evident in the course. And but it still feels very much like Lord and has an original sound. Uh, it's clearly very piano driven. And I think the the hook in the chorus is really catchy. And I really like in the production how they they kind of like modulate her voice in a way that sounds almost like a, a group of like children chanting it. Uh-huh. And it really gets stuck in your head. And admittedly, I was a bit lukewarm on first listen for this track, but now I'm really digging it. Yeah, it's, me too. Uh, yeah, it, it's a really good song to run to. I don't know, you know, <laughs> if you're going to the gym and you're, you're on the treadmill or what have you. I, I, I you know, I was on the track the other day and uh, it was a good song to run to. And I think lyrically, it's very specific. It's about her first big breakup. And uh, yeah, I think, I think those kind of lyrics are, are something that resonates with a lot of people. And uh, the song had a really cool guerrilla marketing campaign leading up to its release. Uh, she had these mysterious cars placed throughout New Zealand where she's from with kind of like these green lights flashing through them. And uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of a nice build up. Yeah. Yeah. It was a nice build up to the song's release. Uh Now, uh, Rob, I know you and I are both pretty big Lord fans. Uh, You once told me back when you were living with some friends uh, back in Virginia, defiantly that this is a Lord household. (laughs) So um, I was curious to hear your thoughts on, on this track. Yeah, like you said, uh, I was slightly lukewarm on it on uh, you know upon first listening to it, but uh, it's definitely grown on me, and I've I've really enjoyed it over the past few days. Um, it came out March second, I guess, uh, and and she tweeted, Lord tweeted about it, you know, a few days, and I guess a week leading up to it, she was tweeting sort of, here comes my new song, Green Light, and uh, you know, yeah, check teasing it. it out, yeah, and checking out the the video, uh, which was made you know before the song was released um the video on youtube actually already has uh i saw this morning almost 17 million views so oh, yeah. uh viral you know, she viral did something character. right it's yeah it's it's going well for her <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but i saw on twitter she was calling it a yeah like this song is it's different and kind of unexpected it's 
complex, funny, sad, and joyous, and it'll make you dance. So I was like, okay, so uh, it, it covers the entire spectrum of human emotion. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I'm one of those so, emotions. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know that, yeah. Yeah, she tweeted that out, I guess, a couple of days before it came out. But yeah, this, I don't know if you, meant, I don't think you mentioned this track is going to be, uh, it's the first single off her new album. Um, called melodrama yeah called melodrama yeah yeah and it's uh i think it's gonna come out summer this year sometime um yeah she's and, actually uh she's gonna be performing on snl this this saturday oh that's right yeah uh and what struck me just doing some research on her career and everything she's still only 20 which is oh dude you know <laughs> i have listed born in 1996 which is insane i know that's in my notes with it's an like exclamation 1996 <laughs> I she know. was i think 17 when uh you know royals her first breakthrough hit came on the scene and and with her yeah her album pure heroin uh-huh. came out in 2013 she was just 17 uh so yeah that her age is something that i was going to point out as just being crazy yeah and yeah you know royals was her first hit and then you know really popular songs like team and tennis court off of pure heroin um and there's actually i noticed yeah, i really it, love that album yeah me too yeah it was great um there's an extended edition on amazon music and spotify which has some some bonus tracks which i just listened to which which are good. I mean, uh, the album itself is is great, but the bonus tracks are nice. A little additional content there. Yeah, I think um, her album Pure Heroin. It's it's very consistent. There's really kind of to use the cliche, all killer, no filler. I, I enjoy. I think every song off that album, and it's. Uh-huh. It, I would classify her music as you know, it's smart pop music. There's a there's a simple construction to it. A lot of the songs just have electric drums, a synthesizer, and a bass, and Lord's vocals. And uh, it kind of creates, yeah, this just unique sonic experience. And the way she layers her vocals and harmonizes, I think that's kind of the tentpole of what makes her music original. Mm-hmm. She can layer, you know, 10 different harmonies within a melody. And uh, yeah, it just kind of creates her trademark sound. So yeah, as I said, uh, you know, she'll be performing this Saturday on SNL, which uh, I'll be definitely curious to check out. And Greenlight is off her, her new album, Melodrama, and you can check out that song on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere you, you get your, your music from. So uh, we're going to transition over to our next recommendation, which is a movie that came out last year called Sing Street that's that's really tied into music. Yeah. Um, Rob, I know you recently watched this one. Do you want to give uh, people some background on it? Sure. Um, yeah, so it's available on Netflix. Uh, this movie, like you said, came out last year. Um and it was, you know, not a huge, I don't think it got a wide release in the U.S., but um, it was really uh, critically acclaimed. Um, I, I didn't hear much about it, uh, to be quite honest same, with you, until, until sort of the award season got going. Um, but yeah, it premiered at Sundance uh, Film Festival last year. Um, and yeah, so like you said, it's a, it's a really music focused movie. Um, it's directed by John Carney, uh, the director of the movie Once, which was his first uh, major motion picture. Uh, it was in 2007. Um, it actually won the best. It's kind of known for winning the best original song uh, Oscar. Right. For, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that song uh, Falling Slowly, which is a really great song. Tear Um He also... <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, he also directed Begin Again um, in 2013, which I have not seen, but it's another uh, music-centric story uh, set in set in New York, actually. 
But yeah, so this one, uh, Sing Street, is uh, written and directed by John Carney, as I said. Um, he wrote and directed all three of those movies I mentioned. But uh, it takes place in 1985 in Dublin, Ireland. Um, so it's just about, it's sort of a coming-of-age story of this the main character. Um, this boy, a 15-year-old boy, um, and his, and it's kind of also about his relationship with his brother. That's kind of mm-hmm. the, the main thread that ties the movie together. Um, but you know, it's, it's all mostly Irish actors, no huge names in the cast, but some really talented kids in the, in the cast and a really great sort of connection between the kids, uh, throughout the movie. Um, one, one character that, you know, maybe recognizable for our audience is uh, uh, Aiden Gillen plays uh, plays the father in the story, and he's uh, known as Peter uh, Baelish Littlefinger from Game of Thrones. And the mayor um, he's also in the, in the Wire. Wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, So he's probably the most recognizable cast member for for people. But yeah, so it's it's a really cool story about sort of a coming of age band, uh, high school band that forms and. They're, you're struggling to sort of find themselves in Dublin and create an identity. Um, it's in, you know, during set in the 80s, so it's during sort of the 80s rock scene, which was, yeah, you know, yeah. very interesting, as everybody knows, and uh, pretty revolutionary, I guess. Um, yeah. What were your takeaways from this movie? Yeah, so, I, yeah, I think it's a really just likable movie, and I, I got to shout out my brother who uh, who recommended that I watch this one, and uh-huh. a few things that I really liked about it is I thought it did a very accurate job of portraying how two musicians kind of develop their knack for writing songs together, so the main character and kind of the, the first musician that he pairs up with to, to start a band with, there's a nice sequence where they're kind of just... Uh, starting to like feed off of one another and like have this look in their eyes of like, Oh yeah. Like I like what you just played right there. I like this. And like, I think it just did a really, um, yeah. Accurate way of portraying that chemistry that like two songwriters can have and kind of just the excitement they get when they first write a riff that they really like. And then they just build on top of it. Mm -hmm. So I dug that. Um, and yeah, kind of, as you mentioned, it goes through different, the movie goes through different phases of eighties music. So there's like the Duran Duran phase. They go through like a goth music phase, which is like very, you know, influenced by the cure. Uh, then they kind of transition more into like straight pop. And I think the, the movie has a really strong eighties soundtrack throughout, which you can find on Spotify. It kind of feels like a love letter to, uh, eighties rock music. Um, not necessarily like the hair metal portion, but kind of like the more punk scene and pop scene. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a song in it, uh, called drive it like you stole it, which, uh, is definitely a certified banger. Uh, let's actually have a quick listen to that, that song to give our listeners just a, a sense of how, how it is. So this song, Drive It Like You Stole It, was written by Gary Clark, not to be confused with Gary Clark Jr., but Gary Clark, the Scottish uh, singer, songwriter, musician. And he actually wrote a few original songs for this movie, um, but this one was really well received and uh, got some nominations for awards, not an Oscar or anything, but, but some nice awards. And there were some really great moments in this movie of live performances, and this one especially... It's feel good. 
yeah, it was a really uplifting scene and moment in the movie. Um, so, so what were your takeaways? What, what was the feel of this movie for you? Uh, what emotions were stirred up in you watching? <laughs> the emotions. Yeah, I mean, I think overall it is feel good. As I mentioned earlier, it seems like it's a movie that's hard to dislike. Uh, you know, it's coming of age. The characters are all are all likable. The music's fun. Uh, the plot kind of zips along. Um, you know, really kind of my only critique is the, the Irish accents are really thick and at times hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. Like I, at one point I was just like, can I get some subtitles on this? Like right. it, was, it was hard to, to hear, but, um, but yeah, it, it is, it is feel good if you're looking for like a weeknight watch to kind of just like unwind to and, and not think too much mm-hmm. about, uh, definitely recommend Sing Street. And as you mentioned, it's, it's available on Netflix streaming right now. Yeah. And, um, I was just going to say it's a really inspirational story just about uh, finding yourself and having confidence in who you are. And uh, it's a a heartwarming story. Um, And and in the movie, the brother, I I said it's sort of a story about this uh, younger brother and his older brother and their bond, uh, which sort of revolves around music. Uh, They listen to music together and talk about it and talk about what it means and everything. But uh, he says you need to find that happy sad yeah media. yeah like, the, like the the you want your music to be happy sad uh <laughs> and that's that's a theme throughout the movie and and that's sort of what he's trying to achieve and and that's sort of what the movie is it's it's a feel good but it's also has a lot of sadness and and heartwarming things with yeah, melancholy uh, yeah especially between uh the the main character and his his lady uh pursuit his <laughs> the girl that he's trying to uh, went over throughout the story and uh mm-hmm. and i wanted to mention the the brother hug at the end was a pretty <laughs> as far as pretty powerful moment hugs. that kind of kind of got me <laughs> yeah it's, it's a great brother <laughs> hug at the end there uh people who've seen it probably yeah, yeah, know what yeah. i'm talking about um and then at the very end after the fade to black uh it the the first credit is a quote that says for brothers everywhere yeah and i was like okay so yeah this this was a brother story um obviously meant a lot you you know to the director and i wanted to say that the director was born in dublin in 1972 so do the math that means in 1985 he was he was 13 so i don't know if this was directly influenced by his life story but i'm sure lots of elements are and he's he's sort of a a music movie maker so i'm sure a lot of this was sort of autobiographical but uh yeah Um, so yeah, we kind of now wanted to transition into kind of just the experience of attending a concert and, um, you know, all the factors that go into your enjoyment. So I recently saw the rap group run the jewels, uh, live in New York, and it was a really fun show. And it just got me thinking about that experience and just how many factors go in. So it isn't just, you know, the act that you're seeing, and, you know, the type of venue, obviously, the size of the venue, how intimate it is, where your position, where your seats are, if it's general admission, but also just kind of the interior, like, is there an easy access to bathrooms and bars throughout? <laughs> uh, what's Huge the factor. lighting? Where you're positioned? 
And, um, you know, I think if it's a general admission show, which uh, this Run the Jewel show was, um, you know, some venues tend to overbook where it gets so crowded that it's just impossible to maneuver around. And I find that is, you know, really a detractor from from the live music experience. Like if you're just crammed, uh, you know, amongst tons of people and you can't get anywhere else and find a good spot, there's like people that are taller in front of you, like it can just really hinder your experience. Um, but you know, a lot of venues are, are better about that and you have enough space and, you know, in a lot of cases you have designated seats, so that's not necessarily a problem, but you know, if the show is outdoors, um, you know, how's the weather? Like I've been a victim many times of a, a show, not, uh, I've been a victim, one comes to mind of a show getting rained out completely, uh-huh. but, uh, other times where if it's in the summer and it's like super humid, but if you get an outdoor show where the weather is perfect, I mean, really there, there's nothing better. Um, you know, and just talking about, you know, I know you and I like to, uh, enjoy an adult beverage from time to time. Yes. And I think at, uh, at a live show, I mean, kind of achieving the quote unquote golden buzz where it's kind of like right. drinking just <laughs> and enough. And maintaining that buzz. <laughs> right. You got to maintain it too. Like, so, you know, whether you're tailgating or pregame before, or you're just grabbing some drinks when you get to the venue, like it's really about just drinking enough where you're feeling good throughout, but aren't having to retrieve to the bathroom much during the set. So kind of think about like how much beer you want to drink. Cause I know for me, that makes me break the seal very easily right. after like, <laughs> you hit like three beers and you know, especially if it's like a craft IPA or something, yeah. uh, having to go back and you don't want to have to do that at all during, you know, and also just like finding your place back where you're watching the set. It's just, it's kind of the last thing you want to do. So, um, I like to transition to like maybe, you know, like a whiskey ginger once the set starts. So it doesn't, uh, make me have to go as bad, but I think that's something that's kind of like overlooked and people just like go crazy with pregaming before and then they just have to like you know use the bathroom throughout and it can kind of just uh hinder their enjoyment um you know going to that like the headliner who you're there to see i mean a really important factor is is the set list obviously so do they play the hits um i really don't like when artists don't pay service to their hits and kind of the songs fans want to hear right um one example that comes to mind i saw third eye blind last year at south by southwest and the only song they played off like their self-titled album or their you know albums where they had you know their hits in the 90s was was jumper so there was no semi-charm kind of life no how's it gonna be motorcycle drive-by etc and it was just kind of like come on guy like right i don't know it just seems like they're kind of uh overlooking why they're famous in the first place and they know that they have the crowd in the palm of their hands that could they can make them go crazy by you know playing semi-time kind of life but decided not to uh-huh. and it was kind of bummed i you know it was kind of a bummer but um you know the only band where i don't think that does matter is radiohead and we'll get we'll get to them uh, a little bit later on but i think in general you want groups to play the hits the songs that people love to sing along to and i think that's a big part of, of the set list and yeah just kind of their stage presence i think you know, artists, they should look like they want to be there on stage. I mean, I remember seeing Alabama Shakes a few years ago in New Orleans, and the lead singer was great. Um, you know, she had a really engaging presence, but it was so clear that the rest of the band just couldn't care less about being there and just, like, kind of mailed in their performance, and it really just, like, pissed me off in a lot right. of ways. So I think most acts, like, are, are have strong stage presence and, and look like, you know, the, it's kind of their favorite part of their job and it's a blast to perform on stage. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think it's something that I always appreciate when you just see like 
artists and bands or rappers, whoever, when they're performing on stage, really just like, um, you know, bust their tail off and, and make it an engaging performance. Um, you know, I also like the, the audience participation and kind of like stage banter in between songs. And, and yeah, I mean, those are, I mean, I know that's kind of like a scattershot of all these different factors, but really like they all can, you know, they all add up to your overall enjoyment to a live concert experience. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Rob, what, uh, what kind of stands out to you? Um, you know, what you're looking for or anything that I said that you want to, you know, counter or agree with? Yeah. I mean, you pretty much hit everything I was going to say, but <laughs> like you said, I mean, it, it really, all these factors add up to the overall experience and it's, it's really hard when you're picking out, you know, your top five, it's not necessarily your top five favorite artists that you saw that you've ever seen you know it's it's where it was who you were with uh you know what frame of mind you were in and uh you know what kind of seat you had and... yeah i think who go ahead i was gonna say something i forgot to mention is yeah who you see it with like are they as big a fan of the artist as you uh-huh. are like i think if you see you know go to a show with someone when they're kind of just uh, you know, so so about their excitement, it can kind of, you can kind of make you feel like, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be as excited. Like, but if you see a show with someone who's at the same level of hypeness, like it's you know, it yeah. totally enhances the experience. <laughs> it definitely adds to it, and and just the overall like build up and the excitement. You know, something to look forward to, and how does the night go? Like, you know, how was it easy to get there? Did you have a good ride home? And you know, those <laughs> yeah. sorts of factors all they all yeah, kind of no, play it does. into it. It does. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I wanted to mention, and also the biggest factor for me, I think, is the venue and and um, some some venues that uh, I really love that didn't quite make my list of top five in terms of overall experiences. But I wanted to mention um, the Nine Thirty Club in Washington D.C. as a really cool venue that I've been to multiple times and seen some really good shows there, like OAR and Kasabian, um, among others, and. It didn't make my list as top five, but it's a really, really cool club. I highly recommend going to see a show there if you haven't. It's really intimate and small, and uh, a lot of a lot of big acts go there. Mm-hmm. Um, Meriwether Post Pavilion in Maryland is another cool one. I've seen the Black Keys there and Tame Impala uh, and M83 last year, which is a really great show. Didn't make my top five, but wanted to mention that venue because I really love it. Um, but yeah, so should we... Shall we get into the top five? I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty oh, excited yeah, to yeah. do this. It was really fun, really fun to make this list and just think back on all your concert experiences. It's also, I I noticed, pretty hard to remember all of your concert experiences. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but, uh, you know, just sort of racking your brain and trying to remember your high school days and yeah i actually you know, have kept what shows a, you saw in college i've kept like a retroactive list there i started like about of course two years have. ago i just kind of made yeah because i make a list about everything <laughs> one thing you should know about me is i'm obsessed with lists uh it's a list guy list up by now but um and uh i kind of just went back and kind of recalled through just like various memory exercises of like who all i've seen how many times i've seen them and it definitely helped with with putting together this list but Uh yeah it's hard and um yeah i think yeah to round off this segment we're going to give you a rundown of our each of our five favorite concert experiences uh we'll go from five to one starting with five so yeah rob what is your uh number five in this list all right so number five is a little bit of a wild card here um, Yo-Yo Ma with the National oh. Symphony Orchestra. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at, yeah, at, uh, Wolf Trap, uh, National Park for the Performing Arts, the Filene Center, um, in Vienna, Virginia. 
And this was in 2014, summer of 2014. Um, and so the reason this made my list is because I'm a big classical music guy. I mean, it's not my my go-to genre, but it is one of my favorites for sort of chilling or like long road trips and stuff. Um, and I was invited to this show by my friends uh, Kelsey and Scott uh, the day of the show. They they had an extra ticket. I guess some, Yeah, someone canceled. And so they just called me up and... I said, yeah, you know, free concert, love, love classical and National Symphony Orchestra. You know, I'm not a, not a huge like cello guy, but <laughs> Yo-Yo Ma, you know, everybody's, everybody's not, heard of him. I thought you were a huge him. cello guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so sort of the spontaneity of this uh, experience added to it. And I love Wolf Trap. It's probably my favorite concert venue. Um, as you know, I'm a big national park guy and this is this, uh, venue opened up in 1966 and it's still to this day the only national park uh dedicated to the performing arts so it's a really really cool venue if you haven't been there um you can bring your own cooler with food and drinks which is a a huge perk um but yeah so there was a lot of red wine a lot of a lot of cured meats and heavy cheese (laughs) and uh and some great classical music i (laughs) i may have even uh produced a few tears (laughs) (laughs) nice nice uh, so yeah, my number five uh, in, I would say, a, a little bit of a different genre than Yo-Yo Ma is uh, <laughs> the pop group Passion Pit. Um, so this is back in the summer of 2012. It was at the Governor's Ball Music Festival in New York City. It was one of the first years of uh, Governor's Ball. Now it's kind of taken off into this three-day festival. This was back when it was only two days. Um, but yeah, this was when Passion Pit's debut album Manners was still huge. So songs like Sleepyhead, which I know was a, a huge uh, you know party banger that we would play at parties in college and things like that. Oh yeah. Um, but I, I saw them with uh, one of our mutual best friends, uh, Kyle and his girl friend at the time and we were all huge passion pit fans again like seeing it with people that have your same level of excitement and interest in the group always makes things better and what kind of made this this uh experience special was we we camped out about two hours before their set and literally like sat on the ground in front of the stage to kind of just claim our territory and so we were super close to the stage and like for two hours we just like drank uh, Red Bull vodkas, I remember. And when they came out, uh, the sun was literally setting. The weather was perfect. It was like, you know, mid 70s, not a cloud in the sky. And they, they just played the exact set that you want want them to play as a Passion Pit fan. So nice. they played all the hits. It was just a super, super fun, uh, you know, experience. Uh, just a combination of a lot of the factors that we talked about with the people you saw with the set list, the weather, the golden buzz that I mentioned. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that is my number five. Uh, Rob, what's your number four? Evening, Washington. I want to send this out tonight as a prayer for all our recently returned vets who... uh, deserve the best care this country can give them. My number four is the Concert for Valor, uh, which happened on Veterans Day, uh, November 11th, 2014. Um, It is on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., which right there, you know, really, really unique uh, concert experience, something on the National Mall, you know, everybody recognizes it. I love I love the National Mall and the Smithsonian, and, you know, it's one of my favorite places on earth, I would say. So it's really cool to see a concert. It was really cool to see a concert there. Um, and it, it, the show was produced by HBO, 
Um, it's actually still on HBO Go in in the documentary section. If you wanted to check it out, it's it's on there in full. Um, but so there were a hundred. They they estimated that it was going to be eight hundred thousand people on the mall, and I don't know where they they pulled that number from. <laughs> but it actually turned out to be a hundred thousand people, which is still you know a massive yeah. amount of people um, together in one place. But it was it was really memorable for me because the people I went with, I went with my roommates at the time, some of my best friends, you know, Kyle and and Brian and. Uh, a few other people, I, I can't remember exactly all who rode with us, but we, we rode our bikes um, from our house to the show, which is a, you know, a cool experience in itself. And um, they had closed down all the streets surrounding the National Mall. So we were sort of, you know, just cruising around the Washington Monument and up, up toward the mall and just a really cool experience to, to ride our bikes on those roads with no cars on them. And, you know, past the White House and everything. Um, but this show, yeah, it was really cool, um, you know, for the veterans with with veterans in mind and trying to raise some money for charitable efforts. Um, and it, it featured... Uh, Who performed? Yeah, it featured huge acts. Um, Jennifer Hudson, Bruce Springsteen, Dave Grohl, Zach Brown Band, The Black Keys, Carrie Underwood, Metallica, and then Rihanna and Eminem uh, closed it out. Jeez. And there was a little controversy because yeah, yeah. Eminem did like a pretty, you know, vulgar set as Eminem <laughs> does. But uh, vulgar? And, yeah, they, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just really cool. And honestly, the concert experience itself was not the greatest. We were pretty far away, um, and you know, it was like two songs by each group and or each person, and then they got off stage. But just the the whole environment of it, and there were a bunch of guest speakers. You know, like Steven Spielberg, John Oliver is a very like political environment. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it was just a really cool experience overall. Nice. And and they haven't done it since, so um, you know, it's kind of a unique concert experience. Cool. So uh, my number four is uh, Radiohead in New Jersey, of all places, back in 2012. So this is their King of Limbs tour. And yeah, so I saw them in, in Newark, New Jersey at the Prudential Center, which is like home of the New Jersey Devils, uh, Seton Hall basketball, not a memorable venue at all. But with Radiohead, this this does not matter. And I think it's, it's awesome to see them in an arena. Um, you know, as I said, they, it doesn't matter. Like they're kind of the only band where it doesn't matter if they play their hits or not. Um, which really rang true at this show. They did play, you know, Idiotech and Paranoid Android and a few other, their more well-known songs. But for the most part, you kind of got the sense that they just play whatever the hell they felt like. And this is my first and only time seeing them. And the stage production was super cool. They had these levitating LED screens that would dangle over them and change different color colors and portray different images. And I just remember the stage production being top notch. And, uh, you know, just to hear Tom York's voice live and how it echoes throughout a large arena, it's like haunting and it's, it doesn't even sound real that you're hearing this live. I mean, his voice is really its own instrument and kind of just another cool part of it was seeing the crowd react to them live. So you kind of get the sense that like each part of the Radiohead sound means so much to different people. So for example, like some people were just obsessed with like air drumming in their songs. Some people were <laughs> singing, of course, others were doing like the air guitar, you know, and things like that. And, you know, other people were just like obsessed with the lyrics and things like that. So it was just oh, like, man. 
it really did feel like a religious experience in a lot of ways. And, so many off um, key. Yeah, I saw so many off key yeah, high pitch I mean, notes in that audience. Oh, right, yeah, trying to sing Tom, his Tommy York's falsetto. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just it's hard. You know, if you've seen Radiohead, it's hard not to put them up there with like some of the best. I mean, especially if you're a fan. I mean, I yeah. can get it if you're someone who's not too into them, but they sound amazing. And, uh, like, it's kind of just, like, a religious experience to see them live. So I had to put them in my top five. Yeah. So that is Radiohead from 2012. Uh, Rob, what's your what's your number three? My number three is going to be the uh, the face-to-face tour with Elton John and Billy Joel. Um, they were doing a dueling pianos tour. Um, so this was actually the first concert ever at Nationals Park oh, nice. uh, on July 11th, uh, 2009. So for that reason, mostly it was memorable and I went with my parents and my brother and sister and a few other people and, and just the fact that it was the first ever concert at Nationals Park and, you know, two huge acts, Elton, Elton John and Billy Joel, um, they, you know, they played the hits and, uh, actually it wasn't my favorite sort of musical concert experience. Uh, they, they both are were past their prime at that point, but, uh, especially Billy, Billy Joel still sounded really, really great. And they obviously can both still play the hell out of a piano. Um, <laughs> there was a little problem with Elton John's mic and he kind of, he kind of was having a, a diva moment for a little while, but, uh, you know, they, they powered through and, uh, yeah. So mostly for the fact that it was the first concert at Nationals Park. And that's, again, one of my favorite places on earth to be. Um, that really added to the nostalgia factor. Um, and, and yeah, it was, it was a great show. Nice, nice. So my number three is uh, back in, going all the way back to 2002. <laughs> first ever major concert it was blink 182 and green day in washington dc this is like at the height of popularity with blink 182 and you know what's my age again adam song all the small things were all huge hits trl dominated the airwaves and my dad took me with a friend and it was part of their pop disaster tour and this was at uh the verizon center known as the mci center at the time to kind of give you oh, a sense yeah. of how long ago this was but i had just started playing guitar around this time i was getting acquainted with the pop punk scene you know i no longer cared about these awful new metal bands like limp biscuit and corn i was getting more into the, you know the blinks and green days of the world awful is harsh what's that? <laughs> um and yeah they just both played each played like full like 90 minute headliner sets um, something I, I remember uh, very fondly about this uh, this experience was the super loud like pyrotechnics that were throughout, like just these explosions that happened uh-huh. throughout uh, both Blink and Green Day sets. And it, it, to this day, it's like the loudest sounds I've ever heard in concert. And I huh. thought after that, I thought like every single concert was going to have pyrotechnics and like since then like you know only a handful do and none of them have been louder than this so i kind of like i remember like having to like plug in my ears the next concerts i went to thinking that they were going to happen and these pyros never happened so uh shout out to the pop disaster pyrotechnics they Uh made an imprint on me but i just have really fond memories of this one and i I think i kind of walked out reborn in a way and it was probably like you could pinpoint this moment as like 
when music started becoming like my number one passion in life, which it still is. So I had to have this in my top five list uh, for for those reasons. That's a great one. Yeah, that's a great one. So So, moving to number two, two, getting getting down to the, the nitty gritty here. Um, all right. So this was really tough. You know, all, all five of these are great, you know, great concerts in my life, but number two, Kanye West glow in the dark tour 2008. Uh, Mm. this show that I saw, was at uh, Jiffy Lube Live. Well, actually, it was it was still Nissan Pavilion back then, now known as Jiffy Lube Live in Bristow, Virginia. Um, so the opening acts for this show were NERD, Lupe Fiasco, and Rihanna. So just those three by themselves were amazing, you know, and that was sort of the the prime of Lupe, and I loved his albums, and Rihanna yeah, was just Rihanna sort of was pretty storming. Well, uh, she was unknown at the time, Rihanna. Yeah, she or was she like was, storming like onto the scene. She was, yeah, she yeah, wasn't, yeah. you know, the, the huge uh, act that she is now. But uh, yeah, Kanye, um, this was the first and only time I've seen him. Actually, I, I want to see him again. But this tour, um, you know, it was right after uh, uh, Graduation came out. Uh, the album graduation and so it had you know can't tell me nothing barry bonds all those all those great songs and barry bonds is the second song you mentioned. <laughs> sorry barry you know all the barry that's probably the worst song kind of ever written but uh yeah no, that is an awesome album and you know i was i was at this uh yeah i was at this i was gonna mention well, so. uh ben was there with me and we had a great time but and and one of the main factors that it was one of my favorite shows ever is uh just maintained this perfect golden buzz throughout and I was in a great mood and it was a really cool experience for me because it was a mix of my my best friends from high school mixed with my new best friends from college were all there together Mm. so that that made for a really cool experience for me um this was a huge tour you know it's one of Kanye's biggest the production design was incredible oh yeah and it, it was just the lights and um you know, it, if I said afterwards, it felt like I was watching Michael Jackson, uh, just, yeah, just I remember the, you the saying power. That. Yeah. yeah. The power of his performance <laughs> and like his presence on stage. It was just really cool. Um, yeah. and, and this concert, this, uh, this concert series actually is pretty infamous now, um, as the show at Bonnaroo that, uh, was supposed to yeah, go yeah. on at 8 PM and then ended up starting at four. A- 425 a.m. <laughs> and it I actually it's a nice, streamed like, eight it hour live. Delay, you know. Yeah, I actually streamed it live um uh at home and just watched it on my laptop, but yeah, uh it's 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 infamous for that moment at Bonnaroo, but yeah, so what's yeah, what's yeah. your number 2? So in keeping with the the Kanye West theme, uh, I'm going to go with my number 2, a different Kanye tour, uh the one he did with Jay-Z, so the Watch the Throne tour at Madison Square Garden in the fall of 2011 Jealous. and I've actually seen Kanye five times live, and they've all been incredible, including the Glow in the Dark tour that you mentioned. All been incredible for entirely different reasons, and I I could honestly make a case for each of those five concerts being the best five I've ever seen, but I'm just going to pick one, and I ultimately decided on this Watch the Throne tour. So there was no opener. They performed for two and a half hours, and it was just fascinating to watch kind of the dichotomy of Kanye and Jay-Z's stage presence. So 
Kanye is very sporadic, hyper, like all over the place. And Jay-Z is kind of this cool, calm, collected, super confident MC. And they played every song off their, their album, Watch the Throne, in addition to basically like 20 of their own hits. So it was both a Kanye concert, a Jay-Z concert, and one where they performed all the songs they've written uh. together all in one show, which is like crazy. And I went with one of my roommates and uh, it's funny, I kind of, we had like nosebleed seats, but it was at Madison Square Garden where there's really not a bad a bad seat in the venue so it didn't really matter and uh you know that scene in the paul rudd movie uh, i love you man where they go to see rush. uh fish I, rush. or no what is it yeah. uh, rush and they're like dancing and sing, you know uh-huh. and singing to one another that was basically my roommate <laughs> and i throughout the show where like i would rap kanye's parts he would rap jay-z's and uh it was just like super fun um the stage production was incredible the sequencing sequencing of the songs um was really unique uh they both came out on like these 50 foot cubes in the middle of the crowd to start and yeah i mean it was just it was just awesome uh one low light is uh towards the end of the show after kind of like one too many uh whiskey gingers (laughs) i literally toppled over like the row in front of me and like fell into them and and uh i remember like just at the time being embarrassed and being like oh my god i'm so sorry but like you know whatever it was a uh, a rap concert and those things happen but other than that it was an amazing time and that's my number two concert so uh nice to get a drum roll going um <laughs> what is your number one yeah let's we'll, we'll add in uh some kind of drum roll maybe but uh yeah what is your your number one concert so my number one concert experience uh i proclaimed this as soon as we left the second night um and i said it's gonna be really tough to ever match that in my life um it was Metallica oh. at the Orion Music and More Festival um, in 2012 in Atlantic City. Uh, so this Orion Festival uh, was a festival hosted by Metallica, and it, this was the first year, the first installment of it. Um, so they they really wanted it to be great. It was it was a you know a big music festival. <clears throat> Excuse me. It had probably thirty. 30 acts or so and um you know multiple stages and the but the headline obviously was metallica at the end of both nights it was a two-day um i think saturday and sunday festival and so i went up there with uh my brother and two of my good friends adam and chad and we had a great just experience all together uh we walked to the venue both nights and just really memorable. We were there for Metallica. I mean, we're, we're, we all, I'm not a huge metal fan. I really don't like it at all, honestly, but Metallica <laughs> is one band uh, that, I, that I've always liked and uh, appreciated. And for this, for whatever reason, this concert uh, sort of like overtook my body and like I had this- <laughs> Melted your face. <laughs> yeah, I just had this experience and it was, they, they were trying to kill it. I mean, it was their festival, the first year of it. So the first night they did the entire Ride the Lightning album, which is a really well-known metal album, one of the most famous ever. Um, and then the second night they did the entire uh, Black album or Metallica album um, with some other songs, some tributes and things. But it was just an amazing experience. And we, we basically camped out uh, at the center stage and waited the entire day. So we just saw whatever acts were were on that main stage. We didn't bother you know, walking around to all the various stages because we wanted to get our best possible spot for Metallica. And we we basically got to the very front for both nights. Uh, besides the VIP section, we, we were at the very front. So 
it was amazing. It's going to be tough to ever match that concert experience for me, but um, yeah, uh, it was it was incredible. Awesome. What's so uh, what's my, your number one? I'm excited to hear. Oh yeah, my number one is the one and only Paul McCartney at FedEx Field in Washington D.C., summer of 2009. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. I saw him with my parents, who are huge Beatles fans, and uh, you know, part of my upbringing was just listening to the Beatles and becoming obsessed with them, which I kind of credit credit to them. And uh, I went with one of my best friends as well, actually the guy who wrote the intro music for this podcast. So shout out to John. And uh, yeah, for this for this experience, we we showed up really early. It was in the summer. We did a long tailgate. Uh, where we pregame for hours in the parking lot and once again achieve the the coveted golden buzz. And even though we had nosebleed uh, nosebleed seats for this one, on the other end of the stadium, uh, just Paul McCartney as a performer is just so engaging. And when you're seeing him live, you kind of have to pinch yourself that uh, these aren't cover songs that you're hearing. You know, when you hear Yesterday and Let It Be and Eleanor and Me, it's like, this is the guy where those came from. You know, and it's like, oh, yeah. crap. He wrote that. Um, <laughs> right. And I, I've seen him three times live, actually. But, um, you know, this was the one that stood out to me. And he, he really plays uh, every song like he's got something to prove. I mean, this guy, if there's anyone in music alive, like, that doesn't have to prove anything, it's Paul McCartney. But when he plays live, it's almost like he's trying to win you over. And uh, his band is as tight as it could possibly be. He played a, a great mix of, of Beatles songs and ones from other projects, including Wings and his solo career. And he, he typically only performs Beatles songs that he wrote. Uh, so that excludes some of the, you know, some of the ones, you know, like Here Comes the Sun, which was written by uh, George Harrison. And, you know, uh, obviously John Lennon wrote a lot of songs, but he, you know, McCartney was the prominent songwriter in the group. And, you know, he's able to perform, you know, a large chunk of Beatles material. And in between songs, he really, he offered like a tons of like fascinating anecdotes, um, just of like, you know, all the insanely famous people that he knows. And uh -huh. he's just really warm and friendly with the crowd and just so likable. And, you know, he's getting old and I, I would recommend seeing him while you can. And it just, it just really doesn't get any better than seeing a living Beatle for me. So uh, awesome. that is my number one concert uh, experience. Nice. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So we're going a little long here. I apologize to that for that. Um, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We wanted to hit quickly uh, our worst ever concert experience um, yeah. for whatever reason. Let's do like 30 seconds. Yeah. So just why so, this was terrifying. Yeah. Quickly. Um, I have one in mind. Yeah. You go ahead with yours first. Yeah. So um, it, it is hard for far. I think this is hard for us to pick. I mean, I think even li bad live music can still be a pretty good time, but one that stood out to me was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this group, but do you remember Zwan? <laughs> does that does the word Zwan mean it, anything to you? <laughs> it doesn't, actually. I'm sorry okay, to say. Okay, okay that, doesn't, that doesn't shock me. So this was actually Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins, uh -huh. his side project. Uh, this was back in, I don't even know what year it was. I want to say like 2003. It was part of the HFS Miss Nutcracker. Okay. So the uh, now defunct rock radio station where we grew up in D.C., they would do these 
yearly festivals and and they were kind of like one of 10 bands and i just remember like they were like the second or third act performing and i was there with a bunch of friends we had gotten like really close up to the stage to see the acts that were performing later in the night um but since we were there we were stuck seeing zwan early on and it was just like incredibly boring there was no stage presence you know you, you wouldn't know any of their songs and uh, it was definitely the most like obscure act that I've seen in an arena that big. And, um, you know, we were all excited for all the bands that were playing later that night. And but, you know, Zwan had to come in and kind of ruin the fun. So that's what I mean. I, it wasn't like repulsive, but right. it was just one that stood out to me as being pretty bad. Uh, so what about you? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So mine is actually a legendary artist and it's oh. sort of blasphemous to say this. Oh, Bruce, oh my God. Bruce Springsteen. Oh um, my God. <laughs> I know. And it had nothing to do with him. He was amazing. He okay. was great. He played for okay, okay. three and a half hours as he does. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was at Nationals Park again. But the reason it's my least favorite concert experience is because the amount of vodka I drank before the concert uh, with my oh. roommates at the time. And we... The cause of all problems. Oh, yeah. We we had a water bottle full of vodka and we were passing it around and it, it just led to a real S show. Um <laughs> just i mean i know i've heard all stories of us were basically, uh, from this, this night <laughs> yeah it it was a debacle i mean we, the whole like the first hour of being in the park we were trying to find each other so <laughs> you know that, <laughs> that kind of tells you all <laughs> you need the to first know hour said um, like oh where are you man yeah. yeah i actually was uh went to sit with my stepdad at one point and i fell asleep <laughs> during bruce springsteen and kind of yeah, never yeah. lived that moment down and it was a an adventure getting home trying to all find sober rides and uh yeah, so for that reason, it was pretty pretty bad and and very memorable, and we we often still reminisce about that night. Yeah. But uh, but yeah. yeah, so so yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for hanging with us. I know yeah, that went a yeah. little long, but it's it's really fun to talk about. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, that's it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening. If you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes and uh, visit our website at Must Go Faster Pod where you can see all our, our episodes, our social links, etc. And we'll be back soon with another new episode, um, one where we're going to give actually a big spoiler review of the new movie Logan, which I think a lot of you will have seen by that point. And we'll be talking about other uh, pop culture topics. And in the words of Christopher Guest from This Is Spinal Tap, these go to 11. These go to 11.